You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. Tease uh, Vinny and, and um, Loretta because they were willing. And um, they, we were up here practicing one night and uh, while we were trying to get the songs together, this was last week, we're like, man, we can't. The, the songs that Emily had chosen for us, they were real high, and, and they were, I don't know. And we were like, man, we're going to have to mix this up. <laughs> we're going to have to do something different. And so, um, but afterwards, uh, Vinny, or I think it was last Sunday, Vinny goes, man, that was like our, that was like our crowning moment. We did great up there. So <laughs> he's confident, man. It's good to be confident. God bless you, Vinny. Thanks for being confident, brother. And I do appreciate those that feel, and I shouldn't tease um, I'm not saying I'm a better singer either, but we, we're not singing for ourselves. We're singing for God's glory, and, and that's something to remember too. So we did, we did get our carpet clean. Maybe you guys go easy on the, on the coffee there for a little while. It's about 450 bucks or 475 I think, to get it cleaned. And so there was a lot of large coffee stains. So maybe we reduce it to water or something. I don't know. But uh, have mercy on our coffee, or I mean our carpet. Maybe get a lid for your cup or something. Thomas... Tonight, I want you to come, as many as can come. So our friend Thomas is, is the son of, of Charles Loretta there. Um, Thomas, um, it, we're gonna, he's going to, uh, it's kind of a boys camp kind of thing, like a, like a prep school, so to speak. And the first part is going to be kind of like a boot camp thing. And then after that, it's a, like a training deal for young guys to kind of get them going, point them towards a, a, a business, kind of like a tech college, and then they can work. I mean, we, what do we call it? A co-op. We used to call it a co-op when I was in school, where you could go to school part of the day and then go work. And so there's a the kind of things that he's interested in. They got body shop and mechanics and carpentry and different mentor men that will take these boys and go go ahead and work with them all the time. And it has a lot of one-on-one counseling, which is one thing that he needs. Um, he lost his grandfather and his father in less than a year um, in 2021, 2020 and 2021. And it's really, you know, it's really harm the guy and he's really needing some some guidance in that and we're trying to get him directed into manhood there so tonight what i'm praying you will do is i want you before you come tonight, i want you to come it's important that you come but i want you to take the time to write him a little letter be prepared to either speak it out loud or give it to him he doesn't need presents because he won't be able to take it's kind of like boot camp when you first go there so he won't be able to take a bunch of gifts or anything like that with him you can't give him any kind of pocket knives or anything like we would we would it's just not that kind of joint but um so what i want you to do is write him a letter personal thomas love you here's some scriptures i was thinking about when i was thinking about you encouragement and then what I, the ongoing thing is we want to keep writing them letters we're going to be praying for them on sunday nights and stuff like that and i think we're going to try to get a little letter writing campaign i know in boot camp that is a really lonely time those of you guys that went to boot camp um, and to receive a letter from home is a big deal. So the more the merrier on the letters and stuff like that. He won't be able to make a bunch of phone calls at first. He will be able to in time as he kind of works his way up in the system there. But, but at first he won't get a lot of phone calls. So we can't really call him, but we can send him letters. So I want you to come tonight. I want you to encourage him tonight. Think about it beforehand. Make a little, just take the time to go get him a card at Dollar General or a dollar, dollar fifty, and um, get him a funny card or a sweet card or whatever you want, and then write him a little scripture in there. And then I expect some of you guys, particularly that know him, you know, uh, Jimmy or Alva's or Markelson or whatever, to, uh, to, to be able to pre- be prepared to give him a word as well, okay? So 
So we love him. We love Loretta. We love Charles. It's a very stressful time to see your kid leave the nest and things like that. You know, you mothers that have seen a kid go into the service or seen him go to college or whatever. It's very, you know, it's lonely. It's sad. It's a transition time for him. So let's be positive in that. But I want you to come tonight, the more the merrier, like I say, and be ready to give him a word, okay? The other thing is Pastor Jesswell, he's just a, a medical wreck. He's having to go get a, a major surgery. I don't want to be too descriptive, but it's, it, it is involving the, the, uh, the male parts as he has possibly cancer in his uh, bladder and around in that neck of the woods there. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But to get the surgery in Guatemala, it's about $2,500. We have money at church. If you want to give specifically to this, uh, one lady gave um, $500 this morning for that. My wife and I are going to give towards that. And uh, we need to have it there basically tomorrow. So we need to send the money today. And uh, we probably have to send it by two or three people because it's that big of an amount. But um, uh, anyway... We, we're going to go ahead and send a check from the church, but, I, but we will reimburse the church as people give towards that. If you want to give towards that, just write on your thing, Pastor Jesswell. I, I, I wouldn't ask you to give if I wasn't giving, so um, I think it's a good thing. Uh, he has a, pro, a great ministry there, and, is, and it's going to be a sad day when he passes away because they've really struggled to find somebody to take the, take the, uh, the reins of that. You know, it's a lot of work. You know, he's doing the seminary, and he's doing the, um, the Rafa house, which is a care home for, for people that are dying. So anyway, it's a good deal. It's a good opportunity. And then the last thing I want to tell you, I know we're already going through more announcements here, but last Sunday we had the opportunity to baptize three people. We, were, we, we thought we had three, then it went down to two, then it went down to one. Then we go out there, and these people were so excited to be a part of that. And so we had Regina, and then her daughter, Kelly, Kelly, and then we had Autumn, Aubrey. Autumn was the littler girl, Aubrey. And so in talking to Aubrey out there, I said, well, when did you accept Christ? This little girl, about 10 years old, maybe. And she's like, today. And so <laughs> that's exciting to hear someone accept Christ by the, me the message of the gospel and to receive Christ. And so we got to baptize her out there. I lost my sunglasses out there. It was, it was a good time. We had fun. We got to go through the house. And it was just a really positive time together as a fellowship. But to see people saved, desire to be baptized, serve the Lord in that, it was really good. It was a really good time. And I, um, it was a real blessing for Ray. And um, anyway, if you didn't make it, I just wanted you to know that there was that little girl who accepted Christ last week. And when you're being prayer for, I gave them some Bible studies that they can be working on. Hopefully they're finding good churches to be a part of where they're back in Florida and stuff. I don't know if that's possible in Florida, but maybe it is. I'm sure there's at least one in Florida. All right, let's go back to 1 Peter 5. We're, gonna, we're not going to finish this week, but only because this guy called me yesterday and he reminded me of something I missed. Um, but I, don't think, I think it's so critical that we should go back and do one more week on it, and then we might go to 2 Peter. Mr. Alva gets on me about how, many, how long I spend on a thing, but I want to get all the good stuff out of there. I don't want to leave nothing. And, uh, but I'm sure, you know, in as much time as we spend on it, you'll leave something. I mean, that's why it's there. Study to show thyself approved. And in that, that word of God, alive and powerful, there's so much going on in there. And the Spirit speaking through his word and the actual meaning of the word and how it works together for good for us, for those that know God are called according to his purpose. It's all there together waiting to fill us. And that's, that's super exciting. Those early church members, they may have had a book like this or a letter like this. And so what they would do is they would send it to these churches. And, and we think about them having the Bible. They really didn't. 
a lot of these letters were written before the Gospels. So the Gospels are, are in the process of being written, maybe. But maybe they had this letter. They received this letter, and so they would read it over and over and over, and they would write it down themselves because the letter's got to go on to the next church. And so they had this. Maybe they had the Torah. Maybe they had Esther. Maybe they had two or three of the older books. Bible, or not Bibles, but scrolls were very, very expensive. They were only for the ultra-wealthy. They were still going to synagogue or the temple to get the word, but then that goes away by A.D. 70, and now they're on their own. So this is before A.D. 70, but not long. That's when Rome sacks Jerusalem and, and sends them last, out to the last dispersion that they're just now recovering from 2,000 years later. So in reading this book, we see this... Well, first of all, we need to remember what a blessing it is that we have all of God's word together in a testimony that we can take with us and read anytime we want. We have limited persecution. We have a safe fellowship to come to. And that's just, we should take advantage of those, of these days that we have all these things. Mark was telling me that they, that AI is going to redo the Bible. Artificial, okay. So that's what I'm telling you. You need to have the book. I know you like the cell phone. You need to have the book. Because with the cell phone, we can make it say whatever we want. You need to know what it says. You want to use the cell phone as a backup? That's one thing. Take the book because the book ain't going to change. The cell phone, the AI, whatever, it'll make the changes that it makes, you know. So this First Peter 5, it's the final exhortations of Peter to the church. So he writes First Peter not knowing he's going to write Second Peter. In fact, the, the, the end of Second Peter is a lot less pleading than the end of First Peter. He writes 1 Peter at the end thinking, well, this might be the last time I ever get to talk to him. So I'm going to just pour it on him. Whenever we, whenever we got to see our grandparents when we were kids, we didn't get to see them that often, but when we did, it was all, the pulling away, poor dad and mom, they're sitting in the car, you know, and, and, and grandma and grandpa are crying, and well, grandma especially is crying, standing on the porch, you know, hugging us. And dad's like, get in the car already, let's roll, you know, we've got to drive 24 hours back to Texas from Colorado or whatever. Um, she doesn't know when's the next time she gets to see her children. Peter doesn't know the next time he gets to see his children or talk to his children, or have an influence on an impact on them. So he writes that, Second uh, Peter 1, 14 and 15, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Yeshua Messiah showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I'm going to die. They're coming after me. We saw that in Acts 12 last week. Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. It says he killed James, the brother of John. He already killed John, now he killed James. And it says that he proceeded further to seize Peter also. In verse 6, it says that Herod the next day was going to bring Peter out, meaning he was going to kill him. So if you think about how many of these deaths that had occurred in this early church, you have um, John and now James, we have Christ, we have Judas, who you don't think of as being... But he was still a part of those that they considered of the disciples, though, and he died. We have Stephen, um, we have uh, Peter, Paul, constantly persecuted. Jason, remember they go to Jason's house and they run him out of town and so Jason gets the beating so that Paul can escape. It's not, a, it's not just this piece of cake thing to accept Christ and, and, and that's it. You're putting your life on the line. And so there's no guarantee as a believer in that day, there's no guarantee today that we live to see tomorrow, but there's no guarantee then because there's people pursuing you with the sword. Um, so they're, they're, and then Peter is really warning his people. He's like, you guys got to get this together. I'm telling you, you church, you got to get this together. 
The end is coming. False teachers are going to rise up. Heresy is going to rise up. And persecution is going to rise up. And we've seen all three of those in the churches across the globe, especially in the Western church, European and the United States, even South America, um, some, some of that think and grow rich, you know, health and wealth doctrine kind of things and, and word faith movement kind of things where, where people are trying to tie things to the gospel that don't necessarily produce themselves in God's word. In this life, you will have suffering. That doesn't go with health and wealth. That doesn't go to with word of faith. It doesn't go there. Because they say word of faith, well, you just proclaim and it'll happen. Yeah, well, okay, I proclaim that I will never have cancer. Well, then you have cancer. Well, then what do you say? Does your faith fail? You've got to be careful with the words that you use. But at the same time, you've got to know that, that as a believer, there will be suffering. You will have various trials. We just don't know what the trials are. They could be physical. They could be mental. They could be persecutorial. It could be political, economic. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But in that, you need to be developed in your whole, uh, uh, how's it say, soul, mind, and, no, how's it go? Spirit, soul, and body. That's, it's in that order, I believe, in Thessalonians. Spirit, soul, and body. You need to be prepared. Two of those are the supernatural part of you. The body part, it's good. We, we are. We're pretty out of shape. We need to get in better shape physically. But the thing we need to get in the shape most of is spirit and soul. Anyway, to tell you all that, to tell you that with all this going on, we need to read this chapter 5 knowing that Peter is so concerned about how these people respond to persecution and, and heresy, apostasy, uh, false teaching, uh, false prophets, these people that want to control the fellowship, there's something to gain by controlling the fellowship. They can, we, we can gain people, we can gain individual wealth. If I could get all you people, if I could convince everyone here, so say there's, say there's whatever there is, 45, 50 people here, and I could just convince you by the time we left here, each one of you needs to give me $100. If you'll each give me $100 times 50, what were we at there? We went five grand, right? So I could gain... A lot if I could convince you, each one, to give me that. Um, so this, this view of some of these pastors is exactly that. The view of many pastors in many churches today is exactly that. If you got two or 3,000 people in your church and you can convince each one to give you five bucks, it ain't long. You got a bunch of loot. And so th what is the motivation behind their pastoring? It's personal gain. And they're not worried about God taking their life. They're worried about padding their pockets. And Peter warns these people, those same people have always been around. You've got to be careful. Those people exist. You need to be careful. So let's read this. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's start there with uh, verse 4. And we'll just read the rest of the chapter. 1 Peter 5 verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you young people... Submit yourselves to your elders. <clears throat> yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's written by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. If there's one thing that, if there's one particular thing that he could focus on in this last statement that he thinks he's going to make, although we do have 2 Peter, he doesn't know he's going to write 2 Peter when he writes 1 Peter. Okay? So you've got to remember it that way. He didn't sit down and write both and send them in an envelope, FedEx to Rome or to wherever, to whatever church. He wrote one, and he's like, hmm, I should have addressed these other things, and he writes the other. So in this one, the thing that he thinks is most important is humility. Peter's last most important message to a church under pressure is submit to one another in humility, verse 5. Be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. One of the things, one of the vestments, one of the parts of the armor of God, wait a minute before I go too far, uh, look at 1 Peter 4, uh, 8 through 10. Again, it's towards the end of the letter, so kind of keep it in that mind. And above all things, 4 verse 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We talked about that and the, the way that we overlook a person's flaws and instead we, we return to them love, though whatever they gave us we're not responding in in kind and the end of all things at hand therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers and above all things have fervent love for one another for love covers a multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without grumbling as each one has received a gift minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of god so we have love we have humility we have submission the most important thing within the body of christ in this in this dying age of man dying culture corrupt culture is love humility and submission sounds weird it sounds very contrary because all those things are outwardly given away do you see that that our culture is not the, i mean it's just not how our culture is you don't think you're a narcissist but uh, trust me as compared to a hundred years ago you're very narcissistic all of you our whole culture has been, myself included, our whole culture has gotten this me focus. Before, if, if you ever read Dr. Woman of the Cumberlands there that, about the lady that started the hospital down here um, in, in Pleasant Hill, this lady gave up everything to come here. It was an eight-hour trip from Crossville to Pleasant Hill, eight hours. Think about that because the roads were so bad. From Pleasant Hill to Mayland was four hours, and it was straight up and down, apparently. And there, they could only do it if there wasn't heavy rains because they couldn't cross the different streams and stuff. I mean, it was terrible what they endured. She didn't, you know, you don't see people do that too often today. But back then, it was considered a common view to give of yourself even unto, unto death. Um, 
the different missionaries that went to China back in the day or went to South America or whatever and even gave their lives. A lot of single women did that back in the day. And it's kind of interesting to see how that view has gone from young people. They beg young people to go on the mission fields now. The uh, Southern Baptist Convention, IMB, International Mission Board, about 10 years ago, what they started doing was retire, well, more than that, about 15 years ago, they started retiring missionaries because they didn't have the money to pay their pensions. So they went ahead and retired them. They got 10, 15 years in, and they said, well, you're, you're done here. Either find a way to support yourself, but we're not supporting you anymore. And so pe- people, don't, people didn't go on the mission trips like they did in the old days, self-funded or going and finding supporters. They were relying on the, the IMB. Well, the churches quit giving to the IMB. The IMB shrunk. Missionaries were paid these salaries plus their retirements, and they couldn't support them anymore. So what happened? Thousands. I think in one year it was like 6,000 missionaries came out of the field and back to the United States and went and got jobs or went went to churches and became pastors. The guy at First Baptist, uh, I can't remember his last name, Carol and Clyde and Carol, I can't remember his last name there. But he was a missionary to Brazil. And he just, they, they retired him. And he had only been there 12 or 15 years. Well, that's a long time. But, but he retired early, and he came back and became the pastor at First Baptist Church because he was no longer supported by MB. So it's a sad ordeal there uh, how that works. People are no longer looking to serve others more highly than themselves. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Serve others more highly than yourself. As much as is possible with you, live at peace with all men. Well, now we say, as much as possible with you, live at peace with me. We put it on the other person to be peaceful to us rather than us to be peaceful to them. We, we are offended when another person mistreats us anyway or doesn't serve us in an appropriate way. In our service industry, I saw it at the motel years ago, how it turned over time where people used to be tired. They'd come in, they'd want a room. Hey, you look tired. Y'all, man, I need a room. And then they would get the room, and they'd wake up, hey, thanks, I appreciate it, we, you know, and they'd leave the next day. And by the time I left there, 12 years later, people are like, they were looking for a freebie or a discount or a handout. They were mad when they came in, and they were mad when they left. And they wanted to be served, and they wanted to be served better with more and more breakfast and more this and that, more amenities. How come you don't have this? How come your pool's not heated? How come you don't have whatever? They had all these things. And no matter what we did, we paid to get the pool heated. It cost us, I don't remember now, say $10,000 or more. And you're never going to get it back. It just costs you because you because of the added cost it added in fuel, you know, propane, electricity, whatever. And they, they, when they got the pool heated, then it wasn't hot enough, or it was too hot for the sun, for the weather, or you didn't have enough plants around the pool, or wasn't enough chairs around. You could never please people. And it's a cultural thing where we've come to today. The 100% guarantee thing has killed us as a culture. We all want to be served, and we all want to be served, number one, and there can be a long line, and the guy, the fifth guy in line, he's like, step aside. Serve me first. And we're not even willing to stand in line anymore and let someone else be served. So even then, same problem as today. Peter says, within the church, amongst believers, love fervently one another, humble with one another, and um, be submissive to one another. To be submissive to one another is to let you finish your sentence, and then you let me finish my sentence. We, we're really bad to cut people. I'm, I'm the worst, probably, to cut people off in mid-sentence. You kind of think you know where they're going. You cut them off, and you start on your thing. That's just a lack of submissiveness to another person. It's really interesting what it says, too, about 
the young submitting to your elders. The young submits to the old. And our culture is the complete opposite of that. It didn't used to be. When I was a kid, you were at a picnic, adults ate first, kids ate the scraps. It's still that way in South America. It's not that way here. Now we say, oh, the children get to go first. Here's grandma on a cane wobbly and whatever, and the kids knock her aside and get, and, in, and grandma wobbly grandma's over there trying to make the kid a plate. It's the opposite. We think, well, we're being kind, but what we're doing is we're training young people in a false doctrine. We're saying, you're more important than anyone else here. It's a bad deal. And we're seeing the fruit of that now. And as young people in our families, are we submissive to our parents? Are you submissive to your parents that are wherever they are? My, my parents don't live here. But, but one thing I had, to, I had to learn is the Bible says to honor your father and mother, regardless of how you were raised, regardless of your respect for them, your honor for them, be careful how you talk about them in front of your kids. Because your kids are going to talk about you like you talked about your parents. I can't believe they're so old and daffy and they have these crazy ideas about this and that and whatever. You want your kids to talk about you that way? Because they're hearing you. Yeah, don't be talking about your mama. She's right there. Don't be. <laughs> don't be talking about yeah, she's right there beside you. Anyway, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. We're not careful with our words. We're not careful with our submission to one another. The wives and the husband's submission, the submission of the wife, but then the care of the husband to the submissive wife. That's what makes it work. If the husband's a tyrant, it doesn't work. There's got to be love both directions. So this is a, a submission that's coming up rightfully. Correct submission comes up. Humility comes up, and then it comes back down. Um, Dan worked in a... In a um, a restaurant for a long time, and he was really frustrated with how a lot of older people treat him, how they would like kind of boss him around or, or not be grateful or thankful for, and I, I kind of, the more I thought about it, and I don't know if this is the truth or not, but could it be that in our natural, you know, God writing his law in our hearts, in our natural way, we, we know that as older people, there should be some bit of regard or respect or honor for us, but there isn't, but we want it. We should get it. I did my time. Where's my gold watch? Amen. Amen. Where's my gold watch? I never got it. And, and so it really, I think part of the anger with the, the older people is they're like, why aren't these, I mean, their expectations are too high. And a lot of the older people are spoiled. They've been spoiled since the 60s. Um, they really have been. They were a spoiled generation from there, and it's be, they've become a spoiled older generation. They never had to give much but they've received a lot. Our country's been on such a great economic boom for so long. But there is something about having honor for older people. Yes. This in particular is speaking about the elders of the church. But just think about that. In the Bible, it says, you shall rise before the gray-headed, honor the aged, and fear your God. I am the Lord. I command you in Leviticus 19.32 that when, when Charlie Alva walks in the room and you're younger than him, that you stand up and give him honor. If the older lady comes into the room and there's a chair and you're sitting in it, stand up and let her sit. That's a command from God. That's not Dale. That's not something I made up. It says also, do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father, 1 Timothy. Or Proverbs 22, 
Listen to your fathers who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. You don't mock your mother. You honor your mother. Be careful in the words that you use with your parents. They did the best they could. They weren't that whippy. They did the best they could. It's the first command with a promise. That you may live long in the land and be prosperous. Your prosperity is dependent on the way that you treat your parents. That's a crazy thing. And that's not Dale's opinion. That's what the word says. Rise before the, the gray-headed. doesn't say the bald-headed. It says the gray-headed. So if you're going bald, man, get you a gray wig. Mm-hmm. So we've forgotten a lot of those commands. The young refer- reverencing the older. And now our culture actually celebrates youth. It ain't old gray-headed people out there burning buildings down like Antifa. It ain't old gray-headed people uh, robbing liquor stores and breaking in and rioting. That's not old grayheads. That's young, disobedient, rebellious young people who have no understanding of submission, humility, honor, love, respect, any of those things. Why? It's, it's the grayheads' fault. The grayheads didn't teach the young heads. They didn't teach them. So what's the expectation? And it's not just that maybe you taught in your home, but what you've got to realize is all of culture is pounding them. Pounding them. You're the best. You're number one. You get, you, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a little award. Everybody gets a, a, a championship ring. Everybody. And before long, when they don't get that, they're like, wait a minute, I'm number one. How come I'm being treated like number two? It's not realistic what we've done. Our culture is crumbling because of it. It says, humble yourselves, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. If you're looking for your exaltation, um, from men, you're going to be disappointed. We're so selfish that we can't give exaltation to anyone else because we want it ourselves. That's why people list stuff on Facebook all the time. You say that you're not the one that does it, but you are. You put it on there so that somebody will give you the little thumbs up or the whatever they give you, a heart, smiley face, whatever they do. And they give you that thing, you're like, oh, ding, my life is better. Those people care about me. Look how good I did with whatever. And then they send you a little smiley face and it makes your day better. But it's not the exaltation among men that means anything. I, I'll give you the expo, I'll give it to you right here. Donald Trump was the king, and now he's the dirt on the bottom of everyone's shoe. They lift up a guy today, and tomorrow they cut the guy's legs out from they, President Biden. He was the king, and the next day they cut his legs out from under him. Name any president. Name any political person. Name any Hollywood actor. Mel Gibson. He was the king. He's making movies, making millions. Says one thing, oh yeah, I knew it was that way. Cut his legs out from underneath them. When you expect your exaltation to come from men, they're so fickle and so corrupt and so bitter and selfish and angry. You'll never get what you want from men. But when God exalts you, then you've been exalted. He's the one that tells people to come up and he's the one that tells people to sit down. He gives the grace to the humble. God resists the proud. You know, it's pridefulness that makes us put stuff on, on wherever to, in order to receive some kind of accolade from man. It's pridefulness that does that. I need somebody to tell me that I'm doing a good job. My, maybe my parents didn't give it to me or my, my kids didn't tell me what a great dad I was or whatever. I need somebody to tell me that I'm doing good. And I'm telling you, people ain't going to tell you. They won't. It's how we are as people. It's very rare to receive a true compliment that's not kind of double-handed in this age. It's just our, part of our culture. So a proud person will not be able to experience the grace and the love of God. 
He's trying to get it from men. And we saw already this morning that in, in our following of God, as we follow God more closely, we don't need to receive so much from men. You're going to do what's right to do because of Christ's righteousness on you, his leading of you, his mercy towards you, his grace poured out abundantly on you. And because of that, you can serve and do and be and exist because God exalted you. He brings you up. You don't bring yourself up. He brings you up. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. It's better to be called up than to be sent down. Both of those in Proverbs. In our culture, in view of Messiah's return, the attitude of the child of God should be that Yeshua is the one who will establish justice and make things right. There's nothing you're going to do. I promise you, you can vote as many times as you want, which seems to be the thing to do these days. Vote multiple times in any election, and you're still not going to get what you want because corrupt men are running the show. It's just how it is. It's a little bit of a downer. But in the end, Christ is going to make it right. So we can't straighten up what's wrong with the world. But as for us, as much as is possible with us, we should live at peace with all men, especially among the fellowship. We should be doing everything we can among the fellowship to live at peace. And it leads us directly to this next line. And that is casting, so he's going to exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's a great memory verse. I mean, we should say it right now. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. One more time. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. It's a promise. I promise that if you cast your cares upon him, he will care for you. There's humility in casting your care upon him because it shows, rightly, that you can't fix it yourself. Obviously, or you wouldn't be here listening to me. If you could fix it yourself, you'd already fixed it. Um, there's humility, and this is, this is terrible to think about, but there's, there is a humility in, abu in abusive relationships. It takes humility to survive in an abusive relationship. It takes humility to, uh, to survive in, a, in um, a, a sexually abusive relationship. It takes humility to survive in our culture because of the way Christianity is demeaned uh, the way it's mocked, the expectations of Christians. As a Christian, you don't just get to do, like if everybody's doing a job and they're all doing it the same, but you're a Christian, they're like, I thought you were a Christian. How dare you? You know, when you hit your finger, how come you yelled like a girl? Because it hurt. <laughs> I'm still a person. I'm just a Christian person. I'm still a flawed human being. <laughs> I still have emotions, excuse me. <clears throat> Casting all your cares about. Easy to recall. So true. The Lord calls us to wait for his vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I was reading there in Isaiah, and there is a place for vengeance from men, believe it or not, for you, Mr. Alva or Mark or any of you men in here. I would fully expect to see if someone was being harmed, Linda over here is being attacked, I would fully expect to see you do whatever it takes up to giving your own life to save Linda's life. I would expect that. To care for the oppressed, 
the afflicted, the widow, the orphan, the homeless, the, the, uh, those in chains for the gospel. If you have to give your life, that's what you got to do. I would fully expect for man, you would say, well, it's vengeance. It's not vengeance. It's doing what God called me to do as a man is to go and protect the weaker person. If a person's getting beat up, he's getting mugged, getting attacked, getting raped, and you stand and watch like we're seeing, we're seeing that. It shows you how bad the culture is. People see the guy's getting beat up, a girl's getting raped in New York, and people were standing around with their cell phones videoing it. That's how far we are. And what should have happened was the first man that weighed at least 100 pounds should have jumped on him like a wildcat and, and you know, bit his ear off, done something, make it stop. We're so selfish. Well, what if I got harmed? What if something happened to me? What if I broke a nail? Some, what, something bad happened to me. What would happen? What if they sued me? Well, what if? Cast your cares upon him, and he will care for you. Part of humility, part of being humble, is willing to be shamed for the gospel. Willing to be the example when no one else will be the example. That's part of humility. Willing to be dismissed as a loser amongst people's eyes, but a winner in God's eyes. We do what we got to do to care for the poor, the downtrodden, the weak, uh, the abused, and so on. Yeah, yeah, doing what's right. To know to do right and do not do it is sin. If you see a place where you need to intervene, man, act. So there's, there's uh, humility even in that. But this constant state of anxiety that so many people flounder in, their answer for anything that happens culturally or in their home or whatever, what if this happened? What if this happened? What, well, what if it does? I, I tell people this. Some people have asked me. I'm not the world's best investor or anything like that, but people have asked me advice at times. And, and they're like, well, I don't know. Should I do this? Should I do that? I'm like, what is the worst possible thing that could happen to you? What's the worst? Uh, you know, you could go bankrupt. The bank can't take every single person's house. They can't bankrupt everybody. They can't foreclose on everyone's house. I mean, if that's the worst that could happen to you, man, go do what you're going to do. I'm not telling you to make wild investments or anything. I'm just saying the things that we worry about, well, what if I lost my car? Well, what if he did? Go get a bicycle. Get a horse. There's other options. There's other ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Quit sweating all these tiny details that keep you from living the abundant life. And I'm not telling you the best life now. I'm saying doing the will of the Father accomplishing his will each day because you have in you what it takes already because of the outpouring of spirit. It's already on you to go do whatever it is he's called you to do. Go do it. Well, what if this guy makes fun of me? Well, what if he does? Look at him. Look at the shirt he wore today. You don't wear your tropical shirt. I can't make fun of you with your tropical shirt today. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, buddy. God bless you, buddy. Uh, Philippians. <laughs> uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 4. Four, verse 6. It says, be, 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Anybody know supplication? That's praying for others or other things. It's not just prayer for yourself all the time. Lord, keep me safe today. Don't let me get in a wreck. May I have enough of this and that? What about everybody else that's in your circle? Everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, 
whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, worthy, meditate on these things. That tells us what to do. We're anxious about how we got treated at the store, how we got treated by another person, what's going to happen to our kids, who they're going to marry, what kind of car we're going to buy, what kind of house, should I sell my house, should I keep my house, should I, whatever. All the things that clog our minds, and a lot of the things that clog our minds are really, really petty and very worldly. We're worried about those, and he tells us what to dwell on, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When you meditate on these positive, these good things, well, then you can get rid of this other part, this um, anxiousness. What are you worried about? So I'm going to ask you again, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Well, I could die. If that's the worst, well, then that's the best. Because then eternal life truly begins. Not like you don't have it today, but, you know, in a better place, truly. Gold streets, you know, perfect climate all the time. Access to the Father, like, truly, go to his house, sit on his lap, truly, contact him. Yeah. I mean, okay, what's the second worst? I could break my leg. I don't I mean, if the worst thing that could happen to you is this, then what are you worried about? As believers, if the worst thing that can happen to us is death by the hands of another person, demeaning by another person, well, then we got nothing to sweat. As an unbeliever, the worst thing that could happen to you is death as well because you lose everything. But for a believer, we gain everything. So dwell on the good stuff. Whatever's good and pure and noble and just and righteous, dwell on these things. And the anxiety part, it goes away. We were praying and... And Mark was just talking about all the stuff he was thankful for. I mentioned it last week. Think of how many things we have to be thankful for. Why are we concerned about these things? Cast all your cares upon him. Then it says, be sober, be vigilant. This is a different sober than the other day. Remember the other day, that word sober meant intelligent. But this word means to be watchful. Be sober, be watchful, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. If you're going to give something, first of all, if you're going to give something to the Lord, you say, Lord, I can't handle this thing anymore, the stress of this anxiety, whatever, then why are you over there trying to take it back? You know, you're like a little kid with a toy where he comes and puts it in your lap, and you're like, oh, that's cute, Tommy, and he grabs it back out of your hand and runs off with it. You, you have this anxious thing, and you give it to God, and then you go back to your house and you sit down and you start doing the, the fingers, you know, the nervous hand thing or whatever. Thinking about it, dwelling on it, whatever is good. Start dwelling on that, whatever's noble, whatever's just, dwell on that. This right here will help you with the casting the care. And then it clears your mind because you get all that negative and the anxiousness and the worry and all those things. Matthew chapter 6, remember Jesus talking about don't worry about this or that. You can't even control the color of the hairs on your head. Not even one of them. Why are you worried about this? It gives you this opportunity to be watchful and to be vigilant. These are military kind of terms. Um, it, it's uh, the, Like I said, the stuff that we're worked up about is the wrong stuff. Because this enemy, this adversary, the devil, 
is looking to destroy you. He's looking to destroy you, your family, your neighbors, and your country. And then the continents and then the world. That's his game. Hmm? And steal your joy. Yeah, he's looking to destroy you. It says resist him steadfast in the, in the faith. To be watchful is also to be intelligent. What's going on? I can look at this thing. I can look at the big picture of our culture and see what's going on. I don't have to fear it, but I can be prepared. It allows me to come back here and say, hey, guys, we need to be careful. This is what's coming. Hey, be careful in buying this. Hey, be careful in going there. Oh, maybe you need to buy some extra groceries. Maybe you need to prepare for this thing. Maybe you need to buy a spare tire, whatever. You know, it helps me to observe what's going on. It's not necessarily prophetic just to have your eyes open and see what's going on in the culture. It could be prophetic, but it may just be, you know, wisdom. All this is involved in wisdom. And in this, you get this resist him steadfast in the faith. There was this, uh, it was one of my favorite things. We Well, I don't know if it was one of my favorite, but it was one of the most dangerous things that I was a part of when I saw how terrible it would be to encounter this. And so the Marine Corps is big on all kinds of training with rifles and bayonets and all that stuff. And so one of the things that we did was riot control training. And then we actually got to go put it in, in force one time. On uh, We had to go get a person that was being worked over. Anyway, so what they do is they have... You go, do shortest to tallest, so short guys in the front, and then you got the medium size and the tall guys in the back. Guys in the front, they have their bayonets kind of down towards the ankles, and then your guys in the middle, they got bayonets sticking out, and then up a little higher, and the guys in the back, they got bayonets sticking out. You ain't diving on that to get the guy that you're rescuing. And so you just move like a big prickly porcupine, and you go to the person, and you make a little hole, and you surround the person with all those bayonets sticking out, and there's bayonets all the way around, and then you just... Take that person. Go. There's nobody going against this big prickly thing. That's what this is talking about exactly. It's the same thing. When I, as soon as I read that and I saw what its root was, it's the same picture. You're not alone in this battle. This resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It's all y'all together, bayonets outward, going against the evil one. That's the picture. The resisting that's the picture. It's the bodily um, defense of what is good. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, when we went to go per pick, pick this person up, and we got out, and everybody put fixed bayonets, and we made the formation, the people left. And the guy was just standing there, and we just went over there, got the guy, and we got on the plane, we left. It was that quick. Nobody wants to fight against that. The problem is, is that many churches do not do this. We will throw one another under the bus at the first sign to get them off of us. But if everybody's on the same team, you can't lose. You can't lose. And so we see something on the Internet or about this other church. We disagree with this preacher. This guy could be the greatest preacher ever. He says one little thing, and we throw him under the bus. He's wrong about everything. Man, that's one of our brothers and sisters. Everybody's doing the best they can to decipher the Word and study the Word. If they're studying the Word well doing the best they can in that, man, show some mercy because we're all defending one another from the evil one. Show some mercy on that guy. Show some mercy on the Presbyterians and on the, on the Methodists and whatever. Show some mercy. They're studying the word. They might have missed something. You can go to them and you can try to help them with that like, like uh, Aquila and Priscilla. You can go to them and say, hey, man, maybe this is more what it is. Just tell them. But don't make them an enemy. Man, we need them. 
in defense of the gospel, resist them. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, when you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He's the glory. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, he brings us to glory. We do not, we don't in ourselves have a natural glory except the fact that we were created by him for a purpose, but in our natural state, we're not that glorious. He makes us glorious. When he imputes his righteousness on us through Jesus Christ, he makes us glorious. In return, we give him glory. We give it back to him. He doesn't need us. We talked about this morning. We need him. He puts it on us. He is the glory. I don't know if you read the devotional this morning, but this Epaphras guy, how he prayed that the fellowship and the body would be perfect and complete. And it says that this perfection, it comes from the trials and the testings, and they purify us for eternity. There's going to be these things. After you have suffered a while, there's going to be this whooping. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We began reading in First Peter back in the weeks ago, 1 Peter 1, go there, 1 Peter 1, this is our last scripture. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 6. Let's start at verse 5 to get the idea. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He starts like he ends. He starts the book like he ends. You're going to be tested. It's going to be rough. But what it does is it helps you recognize how good it was of God to send his son to reveal Messiah to the nations, to put him in the grave, to put him on the cross, to put him in the grave with our sin, to raise him up the third day, to have him sit beside him in the right hand of the heavens, making intercession for us today. When that's revealed to you what he went through, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? There's going to be some suffering in this life for the believer, but ultimately we have, because of the growing of faith, we have the salvation of our souls. So in resisting or resenting sufferings that we encounter in life, whether you brought it on yourself or whether you believe it came from God or it's just a part of living in the fallen world, you're actually harming yourself. You're slowing your spiritual growth. It sounds crazy. By not... By not embracing the suffering, for lack of a better word, you're actually slowing your own spiritual growth. The negative things that occur to us develop us for the building of the kingdom of God. That is a wild idea, and it's not a, a, a one that you're going to go preach on the streets and have a lot of people come to Christ through. But I'm going to tell you, that's just how it is. It's through suffering that we grow spiritually. So to be settled, it says that you may be perfected, established, strengthened, and to settle you. That word settle means to uh, be restored. He's going to restore you. 
He's going to fix what you're missing. Peter is assuming that this is it. There, there will be no other conversations with these people because he's about to die. Because Herod's dogging his steps trying to kill him. Um, and ultimately he does. His wife is, is crucified and then he's crucified. He requests to be crucified upside down is what tradition says. So it was, it was, a, it was a bad ordeal. He didn't, you know, he didn't get the easy uh, injection like they do now where they just put you to sleep and that's that. He got the hard way. And his suffering was but for a time. But then, the glory. It says the Messiah will make perfect, established strength and so on. But there has to be a faith and a trust in him that he will do to us and for us what he says he will do. And what he said he will do is he said, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So if he started with you, if you're saved, you've already received Christ, then he's going to complete whatever it is that perfects you for his glory for eternity. So did he start a good work in you? Yes. Chan. Chan was the only one that shook her head. Yes. Yeah. One girl. That's good. Yeah. And he's faithful to complete it. Yeah. Whatever he's begun in you, he will complete. Whatever testing or trial that you're in right now is for his glory. And when you accomplish it, when you come through giving him praise and honor and glory for the work that he's done in your life, you'll be completed in that. And guess what comes next? Another test. Until you croak. <laughs> and then you'll be with him in glory. Right? You know, we see some people, it doesn't seem like they suffer that much in this life. And, and I was, we were talking about this the other day, about this other guy who's had nothing but terrible health problems his whole life. But man, we can go to the Bible and see how God treats those. He has a special place for that guy. And it says in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, uh, you know, they wouldn't even spit on this guy. The guys came over and the dogs licked his wounds and so on. But in glory, he gets the special place. The first shall be last. Rich man here, guess what? Last place there. Poor man, pitiful man, sorry, low down, uh, abused and, and, and dismissed man. Abraham's bosom. You're, you're right there. You're in the in crowd. You get to be at the cool kid table in heaven forever. Hallelujah. That's good. And with that, we can go to the next verse, verse 11. With knowing all this, then to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a blessing. So the only thing I can ask, and we've got to ask every week, some of you have tried to handle many of these problems yourself. And it says that God resists the proud. So the resisting is he puts his hand up and keeps you at a distance, right? You've resisted before. You were a kid, got drug across the parking lot at Safeway. You've resisted, right? But he gives grace to the humble. You got a lot better chance of getting a piece of chocolate after mom shops at Safeway if you just go with her in the first place across the parking lot. <laughs> That's a biblical truth right there. <laughs> it, if we're in suffering, if we're in anxiety, if we're going to try and handle it all ourselves, just know God's resisting the proud. Give it all to him and quit trying to take it back up, and he'll give grace to the humble. So where are you at? I want to open the front here to prayer this morning. We're going to sing a song at the end here. Um, Great is thy faithfulness, is that correct? His faithfulness never changes. We're, we're a bunch of flakes. 
His never changes. So feel free to come up here and bow and pray if you want. Sit in the front row if you want to pray. Pray where you're at. And be grateful for the things that he's done for you. Give him the honor and the glory and the praise for all that he's done. He already has dominion forever. He already has full sovereignty. He already is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Put yourself under his authority and let him handle the stuff. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, that's the will of God. Do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, before we sing, Lord, we, we want to dedicate this time and the service, the, the thoughts of the people right now to you, wherever they're at in their life, whatever they got going on, whatever abuses are going on, Lord, we pray against that. Lord, we pray for safety for those that are being abused in their marriages, in their homes, sexually, mentally, emotionally, physically, Lord. We pray against that. I pray that those things be revealed. I pray that they be revealed in our county, that these young people that are being abused, um, that they're rescued, Lord. Show us how to rescue them. Father, I pray for the children that we'll be able to minister to in this vacation Bible uh, school this year, that we'll be able to, 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 to give them the word and show them that they're loved by you and that there's a better way than the way that they've walked so far, Lord. Have mercy on them today. I pray that there's no sexual abuse, no, no physical abuse in those homes today for those children. Father, have mercy. Reveal those, those wicked actions of their those that would abuse them, Lord. I pray that you would reveal those things. Father, for those of us here that have different things going on in our lives, in our homes, Lord, I pray that you would uh, break our spirit, Lord. Show us what we got that we're holding on to that was causing us to be resisted by you because of our pride. Lord, I, I hate to pray for humility. I know that can be a very, very painful lesson, Lord. But may we be humble before you, Lord. Give grace to the humble, Lord. We ask that you would be consistent as you always have been to us that we would recognize that it's your loving kindness your chested love your steadfast love that that takes us every day and and puts breath in our lungs and gives us life and life more abundant thank you for your goodness to us lord in jesus name